Welcome to this edition of the General Manager Podcast. My name is Aaron Thomas, a.k.a. Native Seahawk on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook at the General Manager Football Podcast. Twitter, just find me at Native Seahawk. I am still buzzing about Saturday's transaction with John Schneider, the magician, the master of transactions. That's why I call him Transaction John. How the hell did John Schneider pull off one of the best transactions that the Seahawks have probably have ever done in its 43 years of ex- of existence? Getting a guy like Jadeveon Clowney to not only want to play in Seattle, including, you know, having Seattle one of the only two places he wanted to go. That's number one. And and so what does that mean? That means that in order for Clowney to say he wanted to come to Seattle, he had to look at all the past work that the executives did in the last two or three years to build this team. You know, you got to remember a year ago at this time, Free agents were like, no, I don't want to go to Seattle. Who do they have? They lost all these really good players. Richard Sherman's gone. Earl Thomas is not happy. All this stuff was happening a year ago. Remember that? And for Clowney a year later to say, I want only two teams I want to go play for. And one of them wasn't Houston. I mean, we still don't really know why or what really went down in Houston. I mean, there was some disgruntlement there, and there had made some headlines in terms of the fact he wanted uh, an extension, didn't want to be franchise-tagged. I think that was probably the most telling part of the relationship between player and organization. He said, don't franchise-tag me. I'm well worth you know, $19, $20 million a year, so just pay me, and I'll gladly stay in Houston. But instead, the ownership, and again, that is such a big CF what's going on in Houston right now. No general manager. They've got a guy that's basically calling the shots that have never has never been in this this the seat before, making these kind of decisions and pretty much killing that Houston franchise. Now, luckily they're in a division where one of the top ten quarterbacks has decided to retire all of a sudden. Andrew Luck is gone. So now that whole division is wide open. And so Houston will probably most likely contend for that division even after this deal. And then they made some subsequent deals also. But this isn't all about the Houston Texans. This podcast is about the Seattle Seahawks. And you wonder, what did Seattle, what did they inherit you know, Jadeveon Clowney, I shouldn't say inherit. I think inherit, uh, what did they inherit? That's not really a fair word. What did Seattle earn? Because, again, the Seahawks earned the right to just discuss a, 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 a contract with Clowney. And, and again, that, that's still a big testament to John Schneider, to his scouts, to Pete Carroll, and ownership that again we've they've built a culture of 
taking care of their own players, doing what they could and saying, okay, if this isn't going to be a good fit for us, we want to let you go now so that you have the ability to go figure out what you can do for your future. At, at worst, that's what Seattle has done. Now, you flip us off on the sidelines, that's a big, that's a whole other different story. But prior to that, I think that this organization has been on the right track ever since the late, great owner, Paul Allen, decided to go and go after John Schneider, this young, hip, you know, executive that worked with Ted Thompson in Green Bay. And so ever since then, this team has been building this culture of, you know, guys wanting to come to play for Pete Carroll, to come and play in Seattle, Southeast Alaska. And what what great testament to that is is this now with Clowney coming to Seattle again, Seattle earning the right to want to uh, to, to sign Clowney. This is your new defensive lineman, Jadevian Clowney. Uh, he's been in the league since 2014 and has pretty much tore up this league in terms of his statistics. His first year, unfortunately, he had to go on the injured reserve list. He only played four games, and in those four games, he started twice. But then in 2015, he started nine games and played 13 total and had four and a half sacks in 13 games. 2016, he played in 14 games, had six sacks. And then in 2017, which has probably been his best and most productive year, he played and started in all 16 games. He had nine and a half sacks. He uh, did get a fumble recovery and returned at 71 yards and did get a touchdown in that, that re- fumble recovery. But, <clears throat> excuse me, you look at all of the, in, in 2018 last year, he only played in 15 games, which is still pretty solid. Now, that was one of the things you guys heard me on this podcast a few weeks ago saying, don't go get Clowney. Don't do it because he's got some you know, durability issues. And I, I was led wrong by that, by the way, to play in 13 games, 14 games, 16 games, 15 games. It's pretty solid. I'll take that. I'll take that every day and twice on Sunday. So in 2017, nine and a half sacks. 2018, nine sacks. So his career, he's got 29 sacks, and he's played in 62 games. So you do the math. Once every two games, basically, he's getting a sack. And his quarterback hits have only gone up. Since 2016, he had 17 quarterback hits. 2017, 21 hits. 2018, 21 hits. The guy's a beast. What about his tackling ability? Can he tackle? Yeah. His numbers, again, in 2015. We're going to get rid of his rookie year. He had he only played in four games. 2015, 40 tackles. 2016, 52 tackles. 2017, 59 tackles. For some reason, he went down, dipped a little bit to 47 last year. <clears throat> Excuse me. What about tackles for loss? Can he can he get behind the line of scrimmage and 
and tackle a running back who's trying to go up the middle or or try to get around the edge? Yes. 2016, he had 16 tackles for a loss. 2017, he had 21 tackles for a loss. 2018, 16 tackles for a loss. In 64, in 62 total games, he has 64 tackles for a loss. Well, now, what does that tell you? That tells you that probably once a game, he's going to get a tackle for a loss. Those are beast numbers, by the way. You can't, you can't buy that these days. You really can't. And does he show up in, in playoff games? In 2016, he played in the, the, the Houston Texans got to two playoff games that year. In two games, he had an interception. And he did have three solo tackles. He had two quarterback hits in those two playoff games back in 16. In 2018, last year, the Texans did make it to the playoffs. And he did have three, uh, two solo tackles, three assists. Didn't really show up, I guess, on, on the scoreboard, on the, on the stat sheet in last year's playoff game. But again, defenses have to, or excuse me, offenses have to account for this man. And if you look at all of the different, you know, highlight reels and things that you see on YouTube, they're double teaming him and he's still able to maneuver his way in between the two offensive linemen. He literally, you know, when he does his swim moves and he, you know, kind of uh, jukes around the guy that's blocking him and he goes around a different guy, he's able to literally move that gigantic 300-pound offensive lineman out of the way with the with the brush of his hand and a brush of his arm. And the guy's like thrown like a little like a little rag doll to the side as he's, you know, hustling towards the quarterback. Jadeveon Clowney is a three-time pro bowler. He has 64 career tackles for a loss. He's been on the all-pro team uh, once in 2016. So again, the guy is amazing. And so you know, everything that's coming out this morning on Sunday is talking about what happened and how did the Seahawks again get the not only get this man to want to be able to play in Seattle, but then how does how did they get the Texans to pay? The Texans paid this year to uh, to move him. They they literally paid Seattle to take him off their hands. <laughs> Do you understand what that means? I mean, it's not like, again, if you're a general manager and you're saying, okay, this man doesn't want to play for me. Okay, so the one thing we can do is either try to go after draft picks or maybe some guys that can help us this year. But also we're going to remove that money off of our books. As a general manager, that's your job is to stay under the salary cap. Seattle was able to get the Houston Texans to pay part of half of Clowney's price tag this year. They will, the Seahawks are only paying Clowney $8 million, <clears throat> 8 million bucks. That means 7 million 
was paid for by the Texans. How the heck? What the heck is going on in Houston? <laughs> I, I hate to say it, but it's like Schneider is sitting there across the table, either by the phone, via phone, Skype, or whatever they do, uh, and licking his chops. He literally, a month ago, Clowney was being coveted, and people were saying two first-round picks. Now, that'll get you Clowney. Sort of like the, the Khalil Mack deal in Chicago. Schneider was like, okay, a month ago, we don't know what we have in, in Ziggy Ansah. He hasn't been playing. He has, he's been, hasn't been practicing. We don't know about LJ Collier. Injured, hasn't been practicing. Both could be ready for week one. They knew that a month ago. So you really didn't know what you had in your pass rush. So I think the Seahawks were like, okay, well, we really don't need to overpay for Clowney. So if somebody else was to get him, Miami was rumored, other teams were rumored a month ago. Schneider could have easily pulled the trigger a month ago and, again, gave up two first-round draft picks for Clowney. How did the hell did the price tag go from two first-round picks a month ago to now what Seattle gave up, two defensive linemen slash linebacker, Barkevius Mingo, again, everybody knows. I even said this a month and a half ago. I didn't have Mingo on my 53-man roster because I thought that, A, his price tag was too high. He was scheduled to make $4 million this year, and we could have used that cap space somewhere else. And, B, Jacob Martin, who I think is – legitimately is probably the centerpiece of this deal if you're the Texans because Martin has proven, you know, flashes. He's shown flashes of brilliance out there and does have that speed and can get low and bend around the end and, you know, around the offensive tackle to get to the quarterback. He's good at that. I am not taking anything away from Jacob Martin. That was a legitimate loss for Seattle. But you take a look at what the gain is, right? Seattle had to figure out how am I going how are we going to be able to get Clowney, but we're not overpay for him. And they were able to drop the price tag down, only give up a third round draft pick for next year. Two guys on the on the current squad are now gone. And the Texans paid seven million dollars of what was owed to Clowney this year. I just kind of figure, what the hell? Does Clowney have something on the owner? <laughs> Did he have a private investigator go and and research the owner and say, you better deal me or else I'm going to go to the press? I mean, it really feels like some kind of a, 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 a ransom was paid to the Seahawks for the right to get Clowney. <laughs> I like what Charles Robinson on Twitter tweeted out this morning. To properly frame what the Seahawks have done this offseason, they would have paid Frank Clark $17.1 million for one season under the defensive end franchise tag. Instead, they'll now pay <clears throat> Jadavion Clowney $8 million and Ziggy Ansah $9 million, a total of $17 million in 2019. Oh, my God. This so reminds me of 2013. You guys remember that? We got Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett. Both guys that were probably definitely worth 
10 at the time, $10 million for a defensive lineman was pretty good. They got them both for about $5 million each. And what happened in 2013? Remember, we were coming off that, that horrible loss in Atlanta in 2012. A lot of us had a lot of optimism going into 13. And they go out and get Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill for a total of $10 bucks. This reminds me a lot of 2013. Clowney for $8 million, Ansa for $9 million, And we still have yet to really see Ziggy Ansa. Ziggy Ansa is still legitimately good. He can still play really, really well. And now offensive line coaches that we have to play, that have to play Seattle, are pulling out their hair saying, what the hell? And that, you know, I like what David Grosby, the Graz, at the Graz said to, uh, this morning as well. Oh, it was yesterday. Signing Wilson and Wagner, turning four draft picks into 11. Clowning for spare parts and a redundant third-round pick. John Schneider is executive of the year. Now go ahead and crown him. Absolutely. What else do we have to do? What does Schneider have to do to get that title? He's already won a Super Bowl. He's been to two. He should have won that second one. Um, how he dealt, how the hell did he have balls to get rid of Sherman, to get rid of Thomas, to figure out how the hell he was going to get by without no Cliff Averill, to deal Michael Bennett, or yeah, to deal him out. He took and built up a defensive, that a defense that in most people's minds is top five all time and was able to not only have the courage to say we're going to get rid of those guys because they've become locker room cancers, but we're going to also rebuild this team. We're going to, we're going to start over. We're going to take one of our best players. We're going to flip them for several draft picks. We're going to go out and get these young, brash guys like we did in, you know, built over the last seven, eight years. And look at what they've done. Look at what the freak John Schneider has done. And he has to win executive of the year. I'm sorry. If he doesn't win this year, I have no cur- no faith in the writers. They would definitely, to me, have a bias against the Pacific Northwest. And they all need to like go back to school and figure it out. So who made the squad? You know, I, you guys all have access to who is on the 53-man squad. And just from looking at it from my point of view, Corbin Smith, thanks again for, for putting out a nice spreadsheet on offense and defense. He even, like, outlines the rookies and who's on injured reserve and who may have been suspended. So you look at on offense, and, and right now, as of this morning, there is no backup quarterback in Seattle. And, and you guys can all research – What's going on there? We're waiting for the the trade to become official between Houston and Seattle. And once that happens, then Geno Smith is going to be the backup. Now, people are trying to speculate. Maybe there's, you know, Kaiser who's out there and, and uh, Corderell uh, James, I think, is from the Chargers is out there. They're not going to get those guys. In my opinion, they're going to get Geno Smith. He's been here with the team. He's built rapport with the off the receivers. You need Geno Smith. Russell Wilson is your quarterback. And running backs, he got Chris Carson, Rashad Penny, Travis Homer is is according to Corbin Smith is like our third string uh, running back. 
and CJ ProSize. There was a little bit of surprise for me. I thought I, I knew a month and a half ago when I did my first projections of this roster as a helicopter flies over the house that I'm in and beautiful Palm Springs. But <laughs> I had CJ ProSize on the squad as an injured reserve guy because I just I knew Seattle wasn't going to let him go. I mean, if they could flip him for draft picks, they probably would have. But again, you know, kudos to CJ ProSize for coming out large in week three and week four of the preseason to really remind John Schneider what they drafted. And he did. He looked every bit of what he was in Notre Dame. Travis Homer, I had him on my 53-man roster a month and a half ago. I just, again, I was looking at film, and I was like, God, this kid is legit. He's got heart. He's got power. And I, I just didn't know how he was going to adjust to the speed of defenses in this league. Rashad Penny, thank God. That, you know, a lot of us, I was even saying flip Penny. If, if the Texans wanted Penny, you know, they wanted to go offense and they needed a running back, which they did. Again, why didn't they, they ask Seattle for Penny? And maybe they did. And maybe Schneider just kind of called his bluff and said, nope. I drafted Penny in the first round. I know if I deal Penny, that means that it was a bad decision by me. Who knows? Maybe ego was involved. I don't know. But I'm very thankful that Penny is the second string, the backup to Chris Carson, who, again, is a beast. We know what we have in Chris Carson. I've already said it on this podcast several times. 1,400 yards is what I, I think he's going to get this year. I still think that. I still think that. He had 11, almost 1,200 last year. That means he's going to have to rush and, and be, you know, every uh, half a game and a quarter, he has to rush for 100 yards to get 1,400 yards this year. That means he has to stay healthy. That means that he's, you know, relying on the offensive line, who at this point, let's take a look at that. Dwayne Brown, Jermaine Effetti, those are your tackles. And backing them up are Jamarco Jones and George Fant. Again, Fant can play tight end if we needed him to. I wonder if he could play fullback. I wonder if Seattle's tried to put him in now that there's no fullback on this team. Again, <clears throat> that was I had a, a, a fullback on this squad a month and a half ago, and I was looking at the projections. I had Belor, uh, I believe was his name. He's gone. And then you look at the offensive guards. You have DJ Fluker. Mike Yapati, again, you know, I'm really concerned about Yapati. <clears throat> Excuse me, I, I said this about a month ago, or about two weeks ago, I was really concerned about him. Thankfully, the Seahawks have Posick, and Posick has been killing it in preseason. <clears throat> How can he do this in the regular season? I don't know. Is Posick going to go do well against starting caliber defensive linemen? Can he show it consistently? We'll see. Phil Haynes is on the pup. He was our rookie guard that we got, who I've got really high hopes for. Um, it starts out the season most likely on the player uh, who cannot perform. And then Jordan Simmons is on the injured reserve. Again, we all have high hopes for Jordan Simmons. Unfortunately, we won't be able to see him this year. Our center, of course, is Justin Britt. Thank God we didn't have to trade Justin. I have, I'm so happy with him. I think, again, he continues to, to, to move up in terms of his trend and statistics. Joey Hunt, 
little Joey Hunt continues to be on the squad, and rightfully so. The guy can play, even though he's like, what, 5'8", like 250 pounds. I mean, the kid can legitimately go up against Aaron Donald and has proven it. And Seattle's like, we're not getting rid of Brett, even though, or getting rid of Hunt, even though Posick can jump in if he needed to at center. You still got Joey Hunt, and again, rightfully so. So, so can this offensive line, again, especially with Upati, that's the only question mark I have going into the season, is the health of Mike Upati. And again, Posick has proven that he's he's getting better at Solari's um you know, his scheme, and he's able to um, play different positions, which is very important. Seattle loves versatility. I think what what team wouldn't like that? I still think that you've got a top five offensive line in terms of running the ball. During preseason, they seem to have a really good way of being able to keep a pocket uh, available for Russell Wilson to step into and be able to throw the 15-plus yards down the down the field. Tight end, you got Will Disley, Nick Vanette, and Ed Dixon. About a month and a half ago, I did not have either Nick Vanette or Ed Dixon on this team. I thought for sure Vanette, I mean, we're, we're still waiting for him. I mean, I like Nick Vanette a lot. I liked him out of college. You know, he's a third-round draft pick, and he, he's been serviceable, but he hasn't been, like, taking that next step where we can literally, you know, count on him to either make that amazing block on the edge or make the the, the touchdown play or, or first down play consistently. And Seattle's going to need their tight ends to play better this year. Looking at this wide receiver group, and let's talk about them for a minute, but before I go there, Will Disley, thank God we got Will Disley back. I am so happy that he was able to successfully recover from his his injury last year. He was a big missing link to this offense a year ago. You know, the first two games, he killed it. And then he got injured and he was out for the season. He needs to stay healthy this year. He provides great run blocking. Uh, he gets open. He makes those catches. Um, I, I We need Will Disley to do. We need the tight ends to do well this year if Seattle is going to go deep into the playoffs, which I know they will. But, you know, you look at the wide receiver group now, and a lot of us are scratching our heads. Um, you know, of course, Tyler Lockett, no doubt about it. Um, we're going to have to look at the books to make sure that we have enough money to extend him uh, in the next few years. DK Metcalf, <clears throat> of course, um, hasn't really shown a lot in the preseason. He's been injured, had a little bit of a, a minor surgery on his knee to clean up some stuff. Um, David Moore coming into the season. Uh, we don't know if he's injured. Uh, he had a little bit of a shoulder injury. And is he going to be limited by that? Probably. Malik Turner makes this team. I I didn't have Malik Turner on my 53-man roster a month and a half ago. But he's proven that he can get out there and play, and he does really well on special teams. you got to remember, some of these guys got on this squad not just because of their possible ceiling on in the position that they're in, but they're really good at special teams, which Pete Carroll really, really feels is one of the top three reasons why teams go deep in the playoffs is because your special teams are good. 
you're able to, you know, back them up and, you know, corner them in, you know, 10 yards or, you know, from the, from the end zone, you know, make them go 90 yards. Special teams is important to, to Pete Carroll. Malik Turner is an important person on special teams. Then he got on in the slot, which was, again, the biggest question going into the season. Who's going to take over for Doug Baldwin? Doug Baldwin was a big, huge part of this offense. And we're going to find out this year, was it Doug Baldwin or was it the scheme that Seattle employs? Can anybody fit into that slot position and 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 eat? Can they do that? But you can't question Doug Baldwin's hunger for the game, his competitiveness, his chip that he had, tremendous chip on his shoulder. You can't you can't question that. He did. He had a gigantic chip on his shoulder. I talked to the guy a few times over the the years he was in Seattle. He's going to be a really big big missing part of this team this year. And I wish him all the best of luck in the world. He just was uh, the other day just said that he was really really happy with his decision to retire. Basically retire. He hasn't officially retired. He hasn't put his paperwork in. But can he come back next year? Probably. You know, mentally, physically, I'm sure he's keeping himself in shape. I mean, will he come back in Seattle? I don't know. I have no idea. If we win the whole thing this year, maybe he will come out. Maybe we'll see him in the playoffs. You just never know. <laughs> Gary Jennings makes this squad. Even after all the the issues he's been having in preseason, two personal foul uh, calls against him, in two or in four preseason games. The kid can outright ball. I watched him in training camp. I know he can. We've seen the game film. I mean, the kid has got a really good knack for getting open. He's got great hands. Uh, His big issue is between his ears. Can he keep his mind right and make better decisions on the field and not cost your team 15 yards or cost your team a first down or a touchdown because you made a stupid decision to chop block or to you know hit a defenseless defender. He needs to, to get right. He made the squad. He got his foot in the door as a rookie. A lot of us love him a lot. I thought for sure he'd be on the practice squad, but Seattle was like, no, we got to get him on this on this roster because someone else is going to snag him up. That really, to me, is the only reason why he's on this team is that other teams most likely will want him, just like John Ursua, who was also pegged to be the slot receiver in Seattle. I love John Ursua. A lot of people say he's Doug Baldwin Part Two reincarnated. I I agree except that I think that he's actually has a higher ceiling than Doug Baldwin. And that's saying a lot. If Doug Baldwin is your second, like all time best receiver behind Steve Largent, that's saying a tremendous amount about John Ursua, who Seattle had to flip a seventh round pick next year to move into a position to get John Ursua because they knew it. John Asua's agent reminded Schneider that there's a ton of teams that want John Asua. They had to keep Arsua on this on this field and on this roster because 
A, other teams wanted him, but B, he freaking flat out earned it. I was at the Chargers game in L.A. where he just lit it up. He just lights up. When he's out there, you have to account for John Asua. And I have, a lot of us have tremendous hope for John Usua. And if he can be better than Doug Baldwin, if that's his ceiling. Yeah, that's saying quite a bit. And of course, our, our two, our three special teamers, Michael Dixon, Jason Myers, who Myers, thank God for Jason Myers. Thank you, Jason, for coming back to Seattle, for not having this. Uh, and I hope he does have a, a chip on his shoulder still. I hope he doesn't lose that. Yeah, I'd be pissed. I was out there kicking my ass off, and you guys went off and you know decided to go for the elder of the two kickers, and you know keeping Seabass over me. Hell yeah, come back to Seattle. Have that freaking chip on your shoulder, dude. Hit that fifty-eight yard game-winning field goal <laughs> against your you know the Rams. Go have yourself a season. Keep that chip on your shoulder, Jason Myers. And then Tyler Ott, of course, our long snapper. So that's your special teamers. Michael Dixon's going to be another all-star this year. He's still just a tremendous value to the team. Now let's talk about the defense because I think the offense, again, they're going to score 30 points a game. They're going to have to. This defense that we have now, though, I, I need to retract what I just said. A week ago, I was saying that this team, because I didn't see pass rush, was going to have to score 30 points a game. You had no pass rush up to this point, or limited pass rush. You had the best linebacking core in probably all of the NFL in terms of speed, in terms of smartness. But then you have, it drops off after that, in my opinion, with the secondary. And... I hope I'm wrong about that, by the way. So a week ago, I was saying Seattle had to had to score 30 points a game for us to get to the playoffs and go deep. With this new amazing news that I'm still buzzing about with Jadavian Clowney coming to Seattle, that number dramatically drops to around 22, 23 points a game. With Clowney... You don't have to have the offense, doesn't have to score an additional touchdown to win every game this season. They're going to have to score 22 points. And I think last year they did that. I, I, I have to check my numbers, but yeah, they don't have to score 30 points anymore with Jadavian Clowney. You got Clowney, you got Ansah, you got Rasheem Green, you got LJ Collier, who we haven't seen really much this preseason at all. You got Quentin Jefferson, Brandon Jackson. Again, I am so happy we didn't have to give up Brandon Jackson. If it's Mingo over Jackson, I was doing my happy dance, dude. Brandon Jackson was one of the guys I had a week ago or on Thursday. I said he was a bubble guy, but I felt he had done enough to make this squad, and I was right. Defensive tackles, Jaron Reed. Gosh, Jaron. Oh, I am so disappointed in that he's not going to be able to start the season with us. I think he's going to learn a lot from that, though. Jaron Reed is going to have to be forced to sit on his hands for the first six weeks of this season. I hope he trains the hardest he's ever trained in those six weeks. I hope he's looking and watching Clowney and Ansah and even Collier 
But even Puna Ford, who is rising, I want I want Puna to remind Jaron Reed that you have to be on your game on the field and off the field. I want Jaron Reed to really, really learn and take this medicine as much as he has to so that when he comes back in week seven, oh my God, he's just like a, a supercharged, like totally and you know driven guy that's just going to get to the quarterback on every single play he's out there and we see that momentum from the for the week 7 all the way through to the Super Bowl Puna Ford I who would have thought Puna Ford would come out of nowhere and make the squad last year as a rookie and then this year just watching him in preseason Oh my God, they, that kid can play. He's a flat-out baller. Again, on, he's like another Russell Wilson. You look at Puna Ford's uh, statistics, his measurables, and you go, who the hell is this guy? But you get him out there on the field, and he is lights out and showed that time and time again last year, even though we had a lot of experience on defense, the defensive tackle room. Puna Ford, if he continues this trajectory that he's on, will definitely be up for Defensive Player of the Year, at least for the Seahawks, if not for the for the league. He's got that kind of talent. Al Woods, you brought Al Woods in because he needed, you know, with Jaron Reed out, who's going to be able to start? Puna Ford and Al Woods are your most likely your starters on the defensive line going up against Cincinnati. And I like Al Woods. I didn't really know who he was. And again, I read up on him and stuff. And you can see video and film. But when I saw him at training camp and at at preseason games, he is definitely a guy you don't want to go up the middle on because he's just a wide dude. He just takes up a lot of space. It's no wonder he's been in the league for more than 10 years. He's just, he's one of those like lunch pail guys. Put my hard hat on, let's go to work. Brian Moan, I the rookie, I had no I had no clue who he was openly. I didn't didn't really he didn't pop out at me at training camp and the you know preseason games. He really didn't like I didn't really wasn't really watching for him. He's a rookie. Who okay, so what? Undrafted rookie on top of that. But because Snyder decided to keep Moan, who again, all in count, counts and purposes, is a run stopper. He It, it continues the trend for, for Schneider keeping undrafted free agents. And I, I think they kind of have to do that if you think about it. How do you get uh, a Doug Baldwin? How do you get other guys that never got drafted, but, you know, they, and them wanting to come to Seattle? You tell them every single year since I've been here, we keep at least one undrafted free agent on the 53-man roster. It's one of the best marketing tools you can to, can give to an agent. And an agent's the one that's going to have to persuade his client to go and take a chance on Seattle. Brian Moan, if this works out, can be added to the list of undrafted free agents Seattle has always employed and has done well in development and keeping them on that trajectory of going up. 
DeMarcus Christmas made the team, even though he starts off the, 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 the year on the pup. And I, I did not have Christmas on this team. I had him on the practice squad. So, you know, we didn't really see him in preseason. He didn't flash at all in training camp. Uh, that's the only one that I kind of scratched my, my head on a little bit. Nazir Jones makes the squad, and again, he was a, a man that I had on my bubble a month and a half ago. Can he make this squad with all the different guys Seattle drafted and and are bringing in on free agency? Can he make the defensive line? Well, he, he's being placed on injury reserve. We won't see him at all this year. But Seattle gets to retain his rights, which, again, he kind of reminds me a lot of C.J. Procise, you know, Shown flashes of brilliance. If he just continues to stay consistent, yeah. Nazir Jones can, can can do well in this league if he if he really wanted to. Of course, you got your linebackers, Bobby Wagner, KJ Wright, and Michael Kendricks, who I think, again, they're top five. That's what one of the reasons why I have Seattle going deep in the playoffs. Cody Barton, what can you say about that kid? He makes a squad, of course. Thank God we didn't have to get rid of him, by the way. <laughs> I thought for sure he was gone in this trade with Houston. Austin Calitro makes the squad, rightfully so. But BBK, Ben Burkirvin, of course, makes it. And Kirvin just totally, if it wasn't for week four in the preseason, I think he starts out at the practice squad. But he just was lights out. And again, showing off his ceiling you got Shaquem Griffin, who I honestly a week ago thought for sure he wasn't going to make the squad. He was injured most of preseason. He um, didn't really flash that much. We, you know, kind of scratching our heads. Why do we draft this guy? He makes the squad, and I guess he's uh, not injured, so he's probably definitely going to be. He's one of our best special teamers. That's all. That's what he brings to the squad currently. I mean, you've got a ton of linebackers on this team, by the way. Seattle's going to start out the season with seven linebackers. Normally it's six. So, you know, the, the question that a lot of us had was, is it going to be Ben Burkirvin or Shaquem Griffin that makes the squad? Well, Schneider says, I'm going to please both sides because I'm going I'm to keep both of them. Cornerbacks, again, this is where I feel is going to be our weakest Link going into the season can Seattle sustain, uh, uh, you know, get rid of a drive by an offense because somebody broke up a pass down the field. Somebody maybe even intercepted the ball. Shaquille Griffin has to have a good season this year, guys. I hate to say it, but can he do it? He's got the talent. He's got the height. He's got the length. He's got the speed. Shaquille Griffin has to kill it this year or else Schneider is going to remove him from, not Schneider, Pete Carroll is going to remove him from that defensive backing starting lineup. Trey Flowers, again, I we haven't said too much about Trey Flowers this preseason because, again, he's on a good trajectory. He's developing a little slower than some of us want, but... You know, you have to step in, you know, in the Legion of Boom, and we expect so much from our defensive backs because that's just what we know. We know that even if the pass rush doesn't get there, the LOB comes along, and you have to, you know, 
game plan for the LOB. Well, this isn't the LOB anymore. There is no LOB. Trey Flowers has the possibility of becoming an LOB kind of caliber team player. Ugo Mati, oh gosh, if he if he can solidify that nickelback position, even though Seattle went out and traded for Perry Nickerson, and again, Perry Nickerson on game film looks like a, a member of the LOB. He just looks the part. He's got the ball hawking ability. He knows how to tackle in open space. I like the Perry Nickerson trade just as much as I like, well, a little bit less than the Clowney trade. But Derek Schneider again saying, I have a deficiency over here. I'm going to give the Jets a conditional seventh round draft pick, not in 2020, but 2021. Could Perry Nickerson be the next Justin Coleman? A guy that Seattle's like, oh, okay, we'll give the Patriots a, a late round draft pick for your guy. Justin Coleman comes into Seattle and kills it. Now he's making over $9 bucks in Detroit. Perry Nickerson can be that guy. Akeem King makes the squad, which I'm thankful for. I got to meet Akeem King this preseason. Good kid. Uh, Nico Thorpe, of course, is the best special teamer on the squad. And then, unfortunately, Kalen Reed, who a lot of us really wanted and thought was going to be the nickel guy this year, goes on the injured reserve list and maybe isn't going to play another down. And that that is really, really horrible news for Kalen Reed. A lot of us love that kid. We wish him all the best of luck in, in his next chapter. And, you know, hopefully the creator will give him the, the, the energy and the healing to be able to come back to play. Free safety, you got Tedrick Thompson, TT, and then Marquis Blair, who, again, shows flash. But I hope to God he's not another C.J. Procise. I hope that, you know, the soft tissue injuries that he's been getting, you know, hamstring, etc. I hope they all go away, that his body just ad- adapts to this league and the, the demands of it. Marquis Blair can be a very special player. And our strong safety, of course, is Bradley McDougald. Um, and again, we haven't really talked a lot about Bradley McDougald. You know, a lot of it's because he just hasn't been playing. Bradley McDougald has the ability to, if he stays healthy, be that game changer for Seattle. He's playing in the position once held by Cam Chancellor. He's going to be playing a lot up on the line. He's got the speed. He's probably even faster than Cam was. Uh, but can he lower the boom? Can he make uh, you know great interceptions like Cam used to? And I don't like I hate comparing guys, but I'm talking about the impact that these guys made for the defense. And again, making sure that Seattle's offense doesn't have to score 30 points or more, that they're in that 21, 22 points a game, or even less. If we Seattle only has to score 15 points a game. 12 points a game. You're talking top five defense of all time. I don't think the Bears back in 85, I think they were hovering around 13 points a game that the offense had to score for them to win. If Seattle's in that 18 to 22 points a game that they have to score to win, that's a solid position to be in. But you need guys to make a difference on defense. You need a McDougald to get some interceptions because openly I don't trust Shaquille Griffin. 
A lot of us have seen that that's his biggest issue with Griffin is the going over the top. Uh, you know, guy, you know, quarterbacks are making these thread like, you know, passes on Shaquille, uh, Shaquille Griffin. They're doing that because they see that's a deficiency in his game. Shaquille Griffin has to be able to close on those and be able to get his long arms. That's why CL drafted him and break up those long pass plays. Otherwise, it's going to be a long season for Griffin in this defense. Can a Tedrick Thompson or Bradley McDougald step up their games to make a difference on this team? That's what's going to have to happen until Griffin gets it right, because I still think Shaquille Griffin can get it right. I mean, he's looking in his rearview mirror. He got Ugo Amadi, who's itching and chomping at the bit to start. And, of course, Nico Thorpe has been on this team for forever, hasn't broken that, that barrier yet to show the team that he can start opposite of Trey Flowers. But Nico could do it. And, of course, Leno Hill makes the squad, even though he was injured quite a bit this offseason. There's your team, guys. 23 on offense, 26 on defense. We haven't uh, heard yet this morning on the practice squad. But... <clears throat> All intents and purposes, we've got a great squad. I have us winning. Before the the Clowney trade, I had Seattle winning 11 games. They're in the 12 and 13 game wins this year. 12 or 13 wins this year with Clowney. They can do it, guys. I, I think this team is set up looking at what I'm seeing in front of me. If it, like, the key players stay healthy. I'll always put a caveat right there. But you look at the backups and that the depth that, that we have is pretty solid. Next man up. Next man up. If somebody goes down, next man up. If Yapati can't make it, which doesn't look like he's going to probably, he's probably going to miss a few games. I think he's going to be probably week three against the Saints. Yapati come, finally comes back. Fluker did that last year, remember? We didn't see him in the first two games against the Bears and the Broncos. Comes back in week three, and Carson gets over 100 yards rushing that game. Mikey Potty won't be back, I don't think, until week two or three. So Posick, next man up, buddy. You're it. Get out there and prove it. Why Seattle didn't trade you. Why they didn't, uh, you know, cut you. Excuse me. But I think at the end of the day, we've got a squad that will definitely do well this year. And uh, I can't wait to watch it. I can't wait. Uh, in other news, again, I wanted to uh, also share with you, I've moved down to Palm Springs. I'm starting a brand new booster club down here, the Coachella Valley Seahawkers Booster Club. And I want to thank uh, the Seattle Central Council and a few others from my old back at home, the Wacom Seahawkers, have been helping me um, create this organization down here. And there hasn't, there isn't one down here. There's one in L.A. There's one in uh, Northern California, but there's not one down here in the desert. And I thought about calling us the Desert Seahawkers, but then you got possibility of of uh, you know uh, Seahawk clubs in Arizona, you know, which is also another desert. So Coachella, Coachella Valley incorporates um, <clears throat> about six or seven little cities 
<coughs> excuse me, including um, Palm Springs and Coachella and Indio. And so we're just getting uh, signups for that now. I'll be going to, uh, you know, I'm trying to work out a deal with uh, local businesses, including Agua Caliente Casino. It's another tribe. I'm a tribal member from Lummi up in Washington State. And so uh, being able to incorporate uh, a tribal organization is important to me, but it isn't the deal breaker for me. So if Agua can do it, they've got this beautiful bar called the 360 Bar. and It's just one of the best sports bars I've ever been in. We're trying to work out a deal so that the Seahawkers down here can uh, meet every Sunday or Thursday or Monday night, whatever, to um, root on our team and watch it in style. So I'll keep you guys up to date on this podcast every Sunday. Um, I don't think there's any other news, anything that's breaking uh, around the league. I think that, you know, um, we'll see how it goes. So thanks a lot for joining me on this podcast. We'll see you again next Sunday. Go Hawks. Welcome to this edition of the General Manager Podcast. My name is Aaron Thomas, a.k.a. Native Seahawk on Twitter. Thank God there are no pictures in the scorecard. <laughs> Your Seattle Seahawks beat the Cincinnati Bengals 21-20 to on a squeaker when it was, by all intents and purposes, everybody had Seattle winning and beating Cincinnati today, including Vegas. The point spread was about 9.5 points. Over and under was about 44.5 and so, of course, if you was able to go to Vegas and say it was under 44 and a half points, you did get some some scratch, some some money in, in your pocket. But what wasn't money was this game. If you're a Seahawks fan, you, you don't need to pull the, the red button yet, the, the oh my God button. But it, with all intents and purposes, I am not happy with this game as a Seahawk fan, as a season ticket holder, as a guy that's trying to start a Seahawkers booster club down here in the the Palm Springs area, I am not happy. And a lot of it, you know, I was talking to some, some fans today. I went to the Agua Caliente Casino. They have got this amazing bar called the 360 Bar. And I was talking to some folks at uh, Burgers and Beer in Palm Desert. And in both locations, you know, they reminded me, the fans reminded me of the fact that this is sort of like a fifth preseason game. And if you think about it, how many of the starters that played today actually played in the preseason? And you could probably say about 90% of the starters did not play more than four quarters this preseason. Maybe Russell Wilson, maybe Bobby Wagner, but the rest of the team, it really showed up today. And again, on paper, and this is exactly what happened, the Cincinnati Bengals seahawked us. And if you think about it, you know, Seattle is, is definitely an underdog, especially this year in probably five or six games this year that we play. You know, next week when we go to Pittsburgh, we'll be underdogs. When we play at home against the Saints, we'll be underdogs. Well, Cincinnati proved that you could be an underdog and be coached up and drink the Kool-Aid and do whatever you got to do to get yourself psyched for, 
your opponent. And that's exactly what Cincinnati did today. They were not supposed to win this game. Everybody said, Seattle, Seattle, Seattle. They got clowny. Seattle's going to win. They've got all these young nucleus. They got Russell Wilson, top five quarterback. Run game is top five in the entire NFL. They Seahawked us today. The Bengals came out. They punched us in the mouth, and they continued to fight and crawl and try to get a win. And if they didn't uh, miss a field goal early in the game, we'd be saying a whole different story today after this game. That's how close this game was. Let's take a look at some of the numbers, the team stats, according to CBSSports.com. The time of possession was 35 minutes to 24 minutes. Bengals ahead, 35 to 24. So again, right then and there, you take a look at the fact that our defense was out there on the field quite a bit in this game when it shouldn't have been. That Cincinnati offensive line was totally garbage leading up to this first game. They they were injured. They had a lot of new guys. And yet our alleged good pass rush with Clowney in there could not get to, to Dalton until late in the game. That's got to stop. You're going to Pittsburgh next week. How the hell are you going to be able to go up against that team? And, you know, if Pittsburgh gets 30-plus more or more minutes of time of possession, you can write this game off next week. The defense has to make stops. The defense on Seattle gave up 22 first downs to 12 first downs for Seattle. We had one rushing first down. They had one rushing first down, which was good, only one. But they had 18 passing, rushing, passing first downs. That's not good. You could tell early on that the the Cincinnati offense was like, okay, we're going to just pass this. We're going to pass on this team. You know, we're going to, we're going to, you know, throw it downfield. We're going to find our guys and we're going to test that, that secondary. What have I been saying in this podcast all preseason, all before preseason, I was really worried about the secondary. I called out Shaquille Griffin. I called out McDougald. I called out uh, Tedrick Thompson, TT. Yeah, Cincinnati said the same thing. They agreed with me 100% that if they can get just a little bit more time to throw the ball down the field to one of their receivers, tight ends, they were going to exploit the weakness of this defense, and they did time and time again. Third down conversions, Cincinnati 6 out of 15. They converted 6 out of 15. Seattle, four out of 12. So both teams didn't light it up on third down, but uh, statistically, Cincinnati did better. Total net yards, 429 yards to Seattle's 233. So almost double the amount of total net yards in this game for Cincinnati. The net yards rushing was 34, only 34 net yards for the Bengals and 72 for Seattle. And the net yards passing was 395 total yards, total net yards for the Bengals, 161 for Seattle. So you take a look at it, and again, you know, penalties played a big part in this. Cincinnati had seven penalties for 57 yards. Seattle had eight penalties for 55 yards. And 
you know, you'll hear people say that, you know, penalties are part of the game, but the part of it is, you know, how, how well are you coaching your team up so that they understand what's allowable and what's not. And this year is an anomaly for that just because, especially with the pass interference rules that are now put in place, it's really, really hard to coach that up because everybody's learning what the referees are wanting or what they're seeing and what is, you know, uh, challengeable. So, yeah, that that one was uh, seven penalties for them, eight for us. Uh, again, as we go along through some of the statistics, the Bengals turned the ball over three times, though. That's a plus for your defense. And so as much as I kind of uh, ranting against this defense and what they didn't do, they did uh, have three turnovers in the game and four fumbles. Three of them were lost. They did not. In, uh, the Bengals did not intercept. The Bengals did not throw an interception. And so Seattle did have one fumble. We all saw that with Chris Carson. And that was really, really surprising, by the way, to see Chris Carson cough it up like that. I mean, the guy has been legitimately one of the toughest dudes in uh, probably the last couple of years, especially since Marshawn Lynch. And to see him cough it up like that was kind of concerning. But, you know, it is what it is. Uh, they, uh, the Seahawks defense only forced four punts against the Bengals. We had eight punts. And thank God for Michael Dixon. Oh, my God. The kid just totally killed it again. He continuously kills it, including that last punt. You guys remember seeing that last punt? You know, right before uh, it, was the, it was the last possession for Cincinnati, and they were throwing everything in the kitchen sink against Michael Dixon. And he was able to step up into the rush, and they, the, the, the Seahawks special teams did a really good job of just giving him just enough time to punt that ball. That would have been a humongous momentum swing for Cincinnati if they got their hand on that punt. And, and he just killed it. Dixon just killed that ball. Thank goodness, and, and really uh, made it really challenging for the Bengals on that last series on their offense. So the kicking game, oh, goodness. Thank God for Jason Myers. Three for three on the day. Uh, Jason Myers is is just a breath of fresh air. Um, so thankful for him. Uh, three for three is kicking on, on extra points. And again, even last year with Seabass, how many of us were like, oh, God, how many how many extra points did Seabass miss last year? This time, Jason Myers, three for three. The Cincinnati folks, uh, the kicker there had two for two on extra points, two for three on field goals. And we talked about that earlier here in this podcast that, thank God, it went wide left on one of the early um, the early uh, uh, field goal attempts for Cincinnati. So, you know, I'm not going to go over the scoring because I think, you know, we all sort of, um, well, we all got to watch it today. And if you didn't watch it, um, I highly suggest you don't watch the the replay because <laughs> you're not going to be happy. Just like me, I am not happy with the fact that Seattle played the way they did today. And why is that? Why Why can't we just, you know, why is it in our MO to sort of ease our way into every game? And, I, and you know, a lot of folks by halftime are like totally downplaying Seattle, saying 
oh gosh, you know, Seattle sucks, you know, you might as well write this season off and, and et cetera. I mean, the, the, you know, the sky was falling and here I'm trying to say, you know, Seattle's always been a second half team, you know, in every single game we make every team that we play look really good in the first half. And the second half we make our adjustments and then we steamroll them after that. Well, today we made our adjustments. Thank goodness Dalton was killing us in the first half. And, and they were making uh, – the, the Bengals had probably, you know, three-fourths of their pa- their plays were passes and, and really trying to exploit that secondary. And Seattle was able somehow to try to kind of uh, squelch that a little bit to reduce the amount of passing plays in the second half. And we got to give it up for the defensive player of the week. I agree with Seattle End Zone on Twitter at Seattle End Zone. They say Quentin Jefferson, Quentin Jefferson, or as we say in the Pacific Northwest, Quentin, Quentin Jefferson is our defensive player of the week. Six tackles, two sacks, and uh, two pass defense. He had uh, two tips, and he just balled out today. But you know what? If the fact that Puna Ford and Jadavion Clowney were not getting double teamed. Quinn Jefferson is the guy that's got to step up. That is his job, his role as the guy that is on single coverage to make sure that they that he steps up, and he did. He did in a great way. And so, you know, as we go along, we talk a lot about you know who else balled out. DK Metcalf, guys. <laughs> I just got to write that in. DK Metcalf, guys. That kid, and again, I got uh, interviewed by Q13 during training camp this year, and they were like, why do you have a DK Metcalf jersey? You know, he's he's never played a down in this league uh, during regular season. He's a rookie and la, la, la. The kid can ball. He is a great, great – his ceiling is so high. After one game, I mean, I – you know, Russell Wilson – did a great job of getting him the ball. You know, I, I've been the biggest sort of um, proponent or opponent of Russell when it comes to throwing jump balls. I mean, otherwise, if he was really, really good at it, in theory, uh, Jimmy Graham would have been here for another year. But because he just somehow has a challenge with, you know, up until last year, had a challenge with throwing that jump ball. You throw a jump ball to DK Metcalf uh, ten times, nine point nine percent or nine point nine of point of the times, he's going to come up for that with that ball. He is taller, he is faster, he is his ball skills, uh, catching skills, his catching radius is off the chart. That's why Seattle drafted him. That's why they went up and got him this year in this year's draft because they saw those intangibles and he just balled out today. I am really, really happy with DK Metcalf's 89 receiving yards, which according to NFL research at, at NFL research on Twitter, they say DK Metcalf's 89 receiving yards are the most by a Seahawks rookie wide receiver in a debut. The second most, Oh, check this out. The second most by a rookie wide receiver in his debut debut was Hall of Fame Steve Largent in 1976, who had 86 yards. 86 versus DK Metcalf's 89. 
And that's why I got myself a DK Metcalf jersey. And by the way, uh, uh, did you guys see D- DK Metcalf came to the stadium today in what's jersey? Number 80, Steve Largent. DK Metcalf respecting his elders, according to Joe Fan at Joe underscore fan, F A N N, rocking a Steve Largent throwback post game. So even uh, as he was leaving, he put that jersey back on. What a kid. You got some guys who are walking in with their, you know, you guys see the slow motion film of, of Russell Wilson walking in, Bobby Wagner walking in with their suit and ties and their headphones. You got this kid out of Ole Miss, six foot plus, 250 plus, or 230 plus. I'm, I'm really enamored with DK Metcalf. I'm so happy he's with Seattle. And the more that they give DK Metcalf targets, the more he's just going to excel is what I'm predicting. I've been predicting that since we drafted him. So, yeah, you know, uh, their pregame lineups came out and they were talking about the inactives. You know, this this game didn't have and, and get a chance to feature Ursula. It did not get to feature Collier. It did not get to feature Ansa again. Ziggy was is I think purposefully was being held out of this game, so he can try to rush next week against Pittsburgh. And so you th- you think about you know what could have been. Of course, there was no Derek Moore. Or, uh, uh, Mr. Moore was not playing the wide receiver. And yeah, I mean we're playing a little banged up today, but even the fact that we didn't have those guys. Seattle should have won. And I, I predicted 28 to 3 because everything that I had been reading up until this morning was the fact that the Bengals' offensive line was so injured that they had so many backups playing that with our, you know, experienced defensive line with Puna Ford and, and Clowney, that we would definitely be able to rush Dalton quite a bit more than we did. And, you know, I don't understand the one thing I don't get about the defense, and I'm sure a lot of us are going to be kind of putting our defensive co- uh, coordinator on the line a little bit this week, you know, you know, leading up to the, the Pittsburgh game, is why didn't we um, rush our, our linebackers more? You saw uh, Michael Kendricks go in and cause some havoc a few times. You saw Bobby Wagner rush the running backs, especially when that, that looked like there was a gigantic hole and it was one-on-one between, uh, you know, um, between Bobby Wagner and the running back. And all of a sudden, Bobby got in there and just, you know, shut it down. The linebackers are supposed to be able to rush the quarterback. And then I just didn't see a whole lot of calls this week where you'd have uh, any one of our linebackers getting in there a lot faster than the defensive line. Now, granted, you, you think about it, the Bengals are kind of, you know, Zach Taylor is the head coach of the Bengals, comes from that that, that Los Angeles Rams um, sort of formula. And why Seattle has had a hard time with the Rams is because I think a lot of it is that we just exploit each other's weaknesses. You know, and the fact that they knew that Seattle had a really inexperienced secondary that we've got a tremendous linebacking, tremendous defensive line. But when it comes to the secondary, they literally just employed the one and a half to two second rule for Dalton. They just said, okay, 
yeah, Dalton, you got less than two seconds to throw the ball. And that would, you know, totally reduce Seattle's strengths with the defensive line. You know, and the, you know, good news is that Dalton doesn't like to run and kind of runs like he's got a loaded diaper. But thankfully, um, Seattle in the second half was able to correct that a little bit. But again, I've been saying this, you guys, for the last few weeks on this podcast. How, you know, with a a tremendous pass rush that minimizes the pressure on the secondary. And if you have, and, and thank God we got Clowney. Oh my God. You know what, what would have happened without Clowney this game? What do you guys think? You know, and Clowney was disruptive in that first quarter. Didn't he look like a beast? He, that, that, that guy was moving mountains and, and his closing speed. Holy mackerel. I don't know if I've ever seen a defensive lineman close that fast. Maybe Bruce Irvin, maybe, uh, maybe Rufus Porter was really good back in the in the early nineties. Uh, maybe even Cortez Kennedy, but you know, you think about Clowney and he played like a man possessed today. He, he was like ready to prove every bit that Houston should have you know, giving him a long-term deal. And I'm really, really thankful that we got Clowney. And and next week with Ansa hopefully on track to start on the other side of Clowney, that should really give Seattle the pass rush, the NASCAR look that we've been looking for for years since Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett was over on that defensive line. And, you know, you can see what, Clowney does. You can see what DK Metcalf does. You can see what Russell Wilson does. These guys literally make it easier for other players to succeed. And, you know, you look at the film, just go back and look at it. You know, Rasheem Green forced a fumble today, and Trey Flowers was able to um, help out there. Um, but, you know, you take a look at impact players in Seattle definitely has impact players and you know I give kudos to Chris Carson he also balled out today um you know the statistics won't prove it he had less than 100 yards he did have a touchdown or maybe one or two let's take a look at the the numbers there because individually um you take a look at what Seattle did and Chris Carson himself you know had himself a game uh, he had 15 carries for 46 yards and, and a touchdown. It was a passing touchdown. Um, and again, if Seattle wants to do well this year, you know, they do need to succeed over 100 yards. And unfortunately, and I had Chris Carson running at 1,400 yards for the season. So that was a really big, like probably the biggest surprise in this game wasn't that Seattle couldn't get a, a, a consistent pass rush. But it was their offensive line. Again, here we are in the first week of 2019 and we're all scratching our heads. Dude, I thought we had the offensive line all figured out. That wasn't one of the, the weaknesses going into this game. You know, Posick has been doing well. Thank God for Posick, by the way. How many of us in the preseason had him written off? I did. I had him being being traded or, or released because of Mike Solari's new new scheme that we have in Seattle. And I didn't think he was drinking the Kool-Aid. He's drinking the Kool-Aid. He's, he's making the Kool-Aid and then drinking it. Posick is a beast. 
he can fill in at center. When Britt went down that second game play of the game, how many of us were like, oh, my God, is Britt out for the season? <laughs> I know I was. That went through my mind. Seattle, unfortunately, did not rack up over 100 yards. They didn't make it. In fact, if you take a look at it, uh, they score, they, they racked up about 70 yards total on the ground. And that includes eight yards by Russell Wilson, which you don't want him running. But Chris Carson balled out, I, you know, especially the, 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 some of the yards he was able to, you know, carry two or three bangles on his back to get three or four more yards to get the first down. He balled out. Unfortunately, he fumbled, which a lot of us don't like. All of us don't like, but the fact that he was able to kind of make up for that was really, really good. Russell Wilson, 14 out of 20, 196 yards. What happened to Tyler Lockett? He had a touchdown today. Thank God he had a touchdown today. He had two receptions all game. One, uh, he had one reception all game. Two targets, 44 yards, and a touchdown. That was it. WTF and F. That's your number one receiver. Two targets all game. I think that's just as shocking to me as the fact that we didn't have a running game today. This whole game, again, 28-3 to is what I predicted. Should have been like this. Seattle rushes for 125 yards. Chris Carson gets two touchdowns. Tyler Lockett gets a touchdown, gets 10 targets, eight receptions, nine receptions, over 100 yards receiving. That's the way it should have went today. That's the way I drew drew it up in my head, why I thought for sure, because we're going to be running the ball, that our time possession would have been flipped than what it was, like I said earlier in the podcast. It wasn't flipped. It flipped on our heads is what happened. I am not happy with this team. As a season ticket holder, as a podcaster, Cincinnati, Seattle-sized us. That's exactly what happened today. So what do you do? You, you know, I'm, I'm not going to preview too much the Pittsburgh game next week. But what do you do? How the hell do you turn this around? Because, again, I bet you 100 bucks Cincinnati goes somewhere else or they go home next week, and they get their butts kicked. I mean, granted, Seattle's opponents always lose about, not always, about a high percentage anyway in the 70s. 70 percentile that they'll lose next week because Seattle literally just does a good job of kind of pounding pounding at you and wearing you out. And then next week you're supposed to be playing and you're just like burnt out. You're injured. You're bruised up. We're just bullies out there. Now, speaking of Tyler Lockett, he allegedly, according to Michael Sean Dugar, said Tyler Lockett repeatedly mentioned Bengals were defending him in ways he hadn't been defended before. And then he was asked, what were they doing? He said, doubling me. He said, has that ever happened before? He said, yeah, in college. Welcome to being number one in the receiving room, Mr. Lockett. You're going to get double teamed. You're going to be taken out of the game, and that's exactly the way 
Zach Taylor and his coaching staff decided to go against this the Seahawk offense. And rightfully so. That's your number one guy. But you know what? DK Mech, what happened to Jerron Brown? Wasn't he in the game? What happened to uh, any other of the receivers? I know, thank God for DK Metcalf. He did the best he could. But, I mean, was this all on the receiving core? Was this partly also by Russell Wilson? And you see uh, Seahawk Twitter right now is talking about how Seattle, uh, how Russell Wilson shouldn't have been sacked as many times as he was because he held on the ball too long. And the fact that he missed open guys again. And when is he going to move past that? I'm waiting for Russell Wilson again. You're getting paid top five quarterback. And I've been saying it on this podcast, Mr. Wilson, you're a top five quarterback. When are you going to get past holding the ball too long and trying to make something out of nothing? When are you going to try to just be like, okay, I've got a clock in my head. It's got two and a half seconds. If it's not there, you throw it away. And does that mean that I have to, you know, take it on the chin with my statistics? Yes, it does. You know, it beats getting uh, any kind of a, a quarterback sack. Thank God, you know, th- that we're past the fact that, uh, you know, you throw it into double coverage. I was watching a lot of the games today in other parts of the NFL, and you could see quarterbacks doing that. Baker Mayfield, uh, Russell Wilson, allegedly part two, was throwing into double coverage all day today. How many picks did he have? So not trying to be too tough on, on Russ. You know, of course, he's our guy. But there's also comes to a point where you got to just say, okay, Russell, you have your own trends, things that you do that you have to work on. And that's one of them. Being able to throw the ball and get it out of your hands within two and a half seconds of hiking the ball. If you do that, Russell, you're going to have a much better, uh, the Seahawks will, as a team, will have a much better outcome. You might not personally. According to Greg Bell at GBell Seattle on Twitter, Quentin Jefferson acknowledges his time was today with Ziggy Ansa out and LJ Collier not back yet from injury. Quote, I got to stack him up, end quote. When I can, he said. Yeah. Quentin Jefferson balled out today. Very, very thankful for Quentin Jefferson, you know, stepping up. Again, we didn't have Jaron Reed today. God, it would have been nice to have Jaron Reed in there today. And we're going to miss him definitely against the top five offenses, you know, coming up in the next few days or a few weeks. I'm really, really concerned about this defense, though, guys. I'm thankful that that even though we gave up over 400 yards to Dalton, a lot of that was in the first half. A lot of that was, I mean, I I hate to make it sound uh, crass, but, you know, there was a couple of lucky plays that him and John Ross had today. You know, that, that, that long reception right before the half to John Ross, or maybe it was at the beginning of the second half, Tedrick Thompson just just completely 
misjudged when that ball was coming down. And in, in, all, in all reality, that should have been intercepted. It was a, 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 you know, a dead duck in the air. And Thompson's supposed to go up there and get that. And it, of course, we're going we're gonna to Earl Thomas-size Thompson all day long. Anybody else that takes that position, especially while Thomas is still in the league, and by the way, shout out to Earl Thomas. You know, he had an interception today. He balled out for the Ravens. So, yeah, we're going to second guess why didn't we sign Earl Thomas all day long. But, you know, what? we can't do that anymore. You know, that that's way behind us now. We got to look at what's happening today. Uh, some people are saying, got to get Tedrick Thompson out there, out of there, you know, Go in and, and get the rookie, Blair. Put Blair in. And if he fails, then, of course, that's an investment. That's just saying, okay, he failed. He'll learn from it. I kind of agree with that. I hate to say it for Tetrick Thompson. You know, uh, he hasn't proven to me that he can sustainably, continuously play in this league. He has proven that, if anything, he's a really, really good backup. He's like... Uh, Nick Foles, you know, someone that can come off the bench is a great, great backup that, you know, you need him the most. He's going to come out and at least give you some serviceable time. He is not a full-time possible Pro Bowl caliber free safety in this league. He isn't. You know, he, uh, he, at best, he's depth. He provides depth on the bench. That's exactly what... Tedrick Thompson is and what he's proven to us over the last few years. Let's put Blair in there. Might as well. You know, we drafted him high this year. He balled out when he wasn't injured. And again, if he injures himself, if he can't play for some reason, he got a good backup there in TT. So I, I agree. It's time to start the Blair, the, the Blair Witch experiment. <laughs> time to bring him in in Seattle. Now, being down here in in the Coachella Valley, Palm Springs area, I wasn't up there and um I from all intents and purposes, it sounded like the the 12s were out and the guys were loud. Very thankful for that. Um you know, I'm out down here trying to start a Seahawkers club, a, a boosters club for the Seahawk fans here in the Palm Springs area. And if you know anybody that's down here, Send them to our our Facebook page at Coachella Valley Seahawkers Boosters Club. Just type in Coachella Valley Seahawks, and it comes right up. And we're looking for folks. We're trying to start a chapter down here, get on that one-year probation period, and then go from there. So I continuously you know, try to figure out how we can continuously get better as a team, as a general manager of this team. What do you do? Do you need to go out and get yourself another center because maybe Britt isn't doing well? I don't think so. Joey Hunt uh, was inactive. I think he can play. We wouldn't be kept keeping him in if, if on this team if he couldn't at least um, be in their backup duties for Britt. Um, I haven't seen the final injury report for Seattle. But I know Disley got injured again. It might have been his right knee like he hurt last year. He could be out next week. Do you go out and get yourself a tight end? Dixon's out. Do you, do you uh, 
you know, inactivate Disley and move Jacob Hollister up, possibly, from the practice squad. So there's lots to think about in the next six days, what Seattle's going to do. Dwayne Brown said, according to B. Condota, Bob Condota on Twitter, Dwayne Brown said offensive line play, quote, wasn't to our standards, end quote. Said Bengals did some stunts and pressures that Seahawks hadn't really seen. I don't get that. Why is it that we're, it sounds like our guys are being like very, very reactive. Like, oh God, we haven't seen this before. Haven't you been playing football since at least eighth grade? Haven't you seen some of this stuff? I mean, granted, I'm not saying that individually you need to say that maybe as a team you guys haven't prepared for it. But if you haven't prepared for it, to me that means coaching or a lack of coaching. Coach's job is to get your players ready to go and take a look at what the defenses or offenses are doing in other parts of the league and just say, okay, this is possible that they're going to run these stunts, these these double moves, or that they're going to double team you to lock it. So this is how you get out of that. Why aren't we preparing our guys better? I, I'm really concerned about that. I, I don't know what that is. I really don't. Um, is it is it real or not? I don't know. So again, uh, you know, there's going to be more news and notes coming out of uh, Renton this week. And trying to figure out how Seattle can improve. You know, they're going on the road next week to Pittsburgh. How are they going to do this? Uh, I believe Pittsburgh plays tonight against New England. So maybe New England will uh, do something to our opponent next week that would help us see out a little bit. Brady Henderson, our friend from uh, on Twitter, at Brady Henderson, says, Jadavian Clowney, after his Seahawks debut, quote, I'm still knocking some rust off, but I had a good game out there, end quote. Sure seems like a guy who was happy to have landed where he did. I could see that happiness out there. I don't know about you guys, but again, getting back to Clowney, Pete Carroll said, according to Bob Kendota, that he played more than expected, but he said he was fine and the team obviously needed him. Rasheem Green on his game-ending sack, according to Curtis underscore Crabtree, Quote, it felt effing great. It was an awesome feeling. That's the best playing football, a sack fumble, end quote. Rasheem Green is starting to play to his potential. Thank God we need him. <laughs> we really need Rasheem Green to do well this year, especially in the first six weeks while we're waiting for Reed to get off his suspension. A lot of us, again, we're looking at the secondary. I can't, I can't stress that enough. I think that, you know, Shaquem Green did a little bit better than he could have, than we all kind of thought he would do. You can see that he's out there trying his best, which is good. Taking a look at some of the plays, if you could only pick one thing, according to Andy Patton, which could it be? Oh, this was five hours ago before the game. People wanted DK Metcalf to score a touchdown. 69% people said that. People wanted Jadavian Clowney to get a sack. We got that. I think he got two sacks today. People wanted Shaquille Griffin to get an interception. That didn't happen today. And I'm going to say it again. You know, Is the secondary equipped 
to get those interceptions like the old days? I don't think they are. (laughs) I really don't. Not the way it looks today. You know, first game, kind of fifth preseason game. I don't see it. And there's nobody out there to replace that. So you just have to hope that the between Clowney, Ansah, Ford, and you know Jaron Reed, when he comes back, that those guys are the ones that will force quite a bit of turnovers. Whether it's running back turnover or quarterback turnover, that's exactly what needs to happen. At Corbin Smith NFL, Carroll said pressure was, quote, kind of sporadic, end quote, on Andy Dalton. Four quarterback hits, three sacks, two coming from Quentin Jefferson. That right there just made my point. Kind of sporadic on his on the pressure to the quarterback. If you've got consistent pressure on the quarterback, you don't get an Andy Dalton that throws to John Ross for over 150 yards and a quarterback that throws over 400 yards. You just don't. The quarterback is running for his life, and this quarterback did not know how to run, does not know how to run. He is not a running quarterback. He is not Cam Newton. He is not Lamar Jackson. He's definitely not Russell Wilson. He sits back there, throws the ball, and the reason why he got over 400 yards is because that pressure was not consistent. Because when it was, oh my goodness, Dalton was throwing errant balls, you know, underthrowing, overthrowing. Um, he got rattled. We need consistent pressure if you've got a secondary like Seattle that isn't above average currently. I don't know how, what the what uh, openly. Uh, I don't know what the the remedy is. I mean, wait for wait for Reed to come back. Wait for Ansa to come back hopefully next week. If we play like the way we did today against any of the the guys, Pittsburgh, the Rams, the Saints, we go 0 for 3, 0 for 4 all day long. We give teams like Arizona who got hit their butts kicked today. The 49ers won, I believe. Last I saw, they were winning. You give those teams a chance to win, this this season is we're 8 and 8. We are 8 and freaking 8. That is not playoff caliber. We're sitting at home in January the way we play today, and I'm not happy. I am not happy at all. Again, Seattle got Seattle size today by the Bengals. They came in with the swagger. They came in with the chip. They came in and said, we're going to not get embarrassed. Seattle just needs to do better just has to do better and they will so that's it for me on this edition of the general manager podcast i feel like i've got this off my chest i hope i didn't uh, throw it up, throw up all over you guys in the process hopefully you guys learn a little bit more about this team through my podcast thank you for the 385 people that looked at and listened to me last week i hope that uh, you're sharing my podcast you can let your family and friends know more about us, what's going on in Seattleville. 
from the beautiful Coachella Valley. My name is Aaron Thomas, a.k.a. Native Seahawk. I'll see you back again next week after we beat the Pittsburgh Steelers, hopefully, in Pittsburgh. Take care wherever you're at. God bless.